Hello, everybody. Now go, now go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to This is the Pits. My name is Michael Oberst. And my name is Chelsea Greenwood, and we are both very tired today. <laughs> yeah, and so it's going to be very interesting to listen to. Um, today we are talking about a movie from 2013 that nobody has ever heard of called The Counselor, but also it has every famous person you've ever heard of <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. Just that you've never heard of this movie. Yeah. Um, it is... it's, gonna, it's weird, but it's an interesting film, I would say. Um, <laughs> it's like, I have to say the Entertainment Weekly's review of it kind of encapsulated everything I felt um, about the thing. Do you want to lead with that? Do you want to just get that? I want to lead with it. I, I so won't can... give what they rated it, but I'll say. Okay. Um, the counselor. He, okay, so they didn't like it very much, but they say, I suppose the only good thing that can be said of a movie as bad as The Counselor is that its existence is a reminder of just how right Hollywood usually gets it. Big honking bombs, as bad as this one, are like solar eclipses, rare and not to be looked at directly. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I like the one. I just saw one that says, this movie is a, basically a cologne ad for the scent of despair. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I thought that was kind of funny. Oh, my God. From the well, we just like don't. We, are we just diving right in? You want to like see like what's going on? And so here's the thing. Any, the world, our lives. What's, I mean, where are we at right now? We're in 2013 in the world of the movie. It's, I mean, We've already done two movies. It's currently 2019. 2019. The world is 2013. The world in which this movie premiered to was the 2013 that we've ta- we've been talking about for a few episodes now. Um, yeah, I guess it was a busy year for for old Brad. Yeah, huh? he did three movies. I Wait, so say. he did Twelve Years a Slave, and then World War Z. What was the other one? World War Z. Oh shit! That seems like so long ago that we talked I know. about that. Well, we had two movies in between. Oh, okay, yeah, that's why. Oh, and we went on vacation. <laughs> and we went on vacation, um, etc. <laughs> okay, so we're still fucking in 2013. Good God, what if we never stop Leave being in 2013? I have to say, I mean, the maybe thing that's is- why this movie kind of like didn't like stand a chance in my brain because 12 Years a Slave and World War Z were such bigger and better movies. Yeah, well, I think approaching this movie, I was worried because there are so many big names in it that the fact that I hadn't heard of it. Either that it was really, really bad or really, really good. Like, I hadn't heard of it at all. Yeah. It was worrisome that you know that it's not going to be good. But I wasn't quite prepared how bad it actually was. It's weird because, okay, so we should say this movie um, is written by Cormac McCarthy, Mm -hmm. who is one of my all-time favorite writers period Same. of novels or TV or movies. Like he is just phenomenal writer. Um, and then there's, it's directed by Ridley Scott who I don't really need to name his accolades, but he's worked with Brad before they did Thelma and Louise. Um, and so like, I don't know. It's a great director, a great writer it stars Javier Bardem, Brad Pitt, uh, Michael Fassbender, uh, Cameron Diaz, Penelope Cruz, like, Rosie Penelope Perez, Cruz, yeah. John Leguizamo, the list goes on. Yeah, it's like a crazy list, a crazy cast. So it's just, I don't know. It's like that thing where like you get all these, I don't know these. I don't know if it's like opinionated people or like I don't know what it is. But uh, every now and then you get like this crazy combination of personalities, and it just doesn't work. So I and have maybe to that say, was what was happening here, but I don't know. I think. I couldn't help but think like maybe they know this is a bad movie so they cast a million famous people but I don't think that any of them did realize it was a bad movie because it had Cormac McCarthy writing behind it writing it and so I think that is the root of the problem because I couldn't for the life of me really figure out what was going on like I get the general scent of the fact that they got that there was a drug car- that the drug cartel had ended up like fucking over Michael Fassbender right Right, but and that's Cormac McCarthy's specialty, though. Yeah, but like, think about there will be blood. For I'm sorry, um, no country for old men. No, yeah, but think yes, about no country for old men, which he didn't write the screenplay for. 
it's like very pared down. It's very jarring. It's like if you basically it was so unbelievable already. No, did you read? Did you read No Country for Old Men the book? Yeah. It's like word for word the movie. He just didn't. He just didn't write the screenplay, but the exactly. Book is well, that's word what I mean. That's movie. what I mean. That's what I mean. So uh, the screenplay. The reason for me that this movie, among re- among many reasons, didn't hit home for me was because it was so well written that it was entirely unbelievable. That nobody would speak in these like soliloquies. <laughs> you know. Oh my god! I know it was so. <laughs> it was so theatrical. Like yeah. like play it felt like a play a lot of times because it would just be people sitting in rooms talking to each other about like all these like philosophical things and like it just i don't know like it it, there was some cool like action in it but like i don't know yeah it's 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 really hard to explain how because i didn't i didn't i don't think i disliked it it was just like a little bit boring and a little bit wordy you know yeah i also think like when he was writing this he was like absolutely terrified of women and like hypersexualizing the story that did not need to be hypersexualized in the strangest ways throughout the whole thing yeah and then both of the women characters yeah. one of them is like a christian and she like goes to church and she's beautiful but she has a kinky side and then there's this like hyper hypersexual cameron diaz character and it's like wh- it felt like a joke she fucked a car she fucked a car. She literally fucked that car. That was my favorite scene. <laughs> was, Me too. I was like, what the I, hell am I looking at right now? I don't know why, but I always, it's like, I have this weird thing, this running joke with, I guess, myself, where <laughs> I just say that I want to fuck random things. Like, there's a fish that has, like, a big-ass mouth or something, and I'm like, am I going to fuck that fish? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, when she said, when he said she's going to fuck that car, I was like, oh, my God, that's my joke. But then she really fucking did it, and I was like, oh. But it also was It's like, a little bit weird watching somebody actually do it. But it also was weird watching somebody tell a story of something that's happened in the past with no consequence to the story that they're telling it in. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't need to know that. Right. <laughs> and that happened nope, a few times. Didn't. And then, like... Yeah. So it opens up with, that, with, like, the cheetahs running around in the Mexican landscape, and I was like, okay... This is going to be, like, kind of a joke of itself. But I guess maybe that's where it fell short. If they had, like, tried to make it funny, maybe it would have worked because it was so over the top. I think it is. I think there is, like, a little bit of a humor to it. It's just that it's so, so dry that it doesn't... (laughs) Like, I think that the fucking the car scene is Cormac McCarthy's humor. Yeah, totally. Sort of coming together with his obsession with, like, eroticism. Yeah. And also, like, absurdity. So, like... those like I think when all those elements came together, it's created this weird scene where Cameron Diaz fucks a car. And then he um, describes it. He was like, it wasn't sexual, but it was sexual. He was like, it was like a caterpillar. And then you're left thinking like about the way her vagina would look on. <laughs> the yeah, he started talking about how it was like a bottom feeder. Yeah, fish, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah, Fish yeah, tank yeah. cleaning fish. That's exactly. Yeah. I mean, it paints such a such a graphic foot picture. Yeah, in my brain. Um, that's all I can really think about yeah, coming I, out of this movie. When I saw the cheetah thing at the beginning, because uh, it's just cheetahs, for those who haven't seen it, uh, it's just cheetahs like running around in the desert chasing a rabbit. It reminded me of um, the aesthetic of true romance for some reason. Yeah, it had that like very because like sunset Javier Bardem's hair oh. is just so wild. <laughs> it looks like a wig, but it's actually him- his hair. Do you know that? It's actually his hair that... Yeah. I believe that. I don't think it looks like a wig. I think it looks like his hair that it's just like... It looks like he got like those gels from like the early 2000s. Oh, maybe you didn't experience this because um, you're a girl who didn't do this. But I used to get my hair cut and they would spike my hair and put like colored gel in it. (laughs) That's what his hair looked like. Um, Also, I love Javier Javier Bardem so much. I love all of the actors in this movie. True. I like, mean, true. Um, yeah. Michael Fassbender. Hot as motherfucking I know. And, balls. Okay, so we just watched Brad Pitt and Michael Fassbender just a minute ago in 12 Years of Life. Yeah, they've worked together three times now. Because they were also in Inglor- Wait, what was the other time? Inglorious Bastards. I always forget Michael Fassbender's in that. He... he he really plays a different character mm-hmm. in that movie. And I he's a always great forget actor. that he's in it. He's very good at... He he does what's known as acting and makes it hard to remember that he's a real person. Um, 
I also did not like the eroticism, except for the Cameron Diaz scene. Like the scene where they were like making out under the sheets, didn't didn't work for me. Oh my god! And I that was really that was actually that. the first scene in the movie. It was like, why do we need yeah. to know this? Like, it was just it felt so gratuitous to me, but not in a like well executed way where I was like, okay, we're getting into something weird and fucked up here. I was like. This just feels like you just want to see two hot people having orgasms. It feels like the filmmakers just wanted to make this movie so that they could make personal porn they could watch later. And, like, say yeah, they had made wrote, it with famous people. Yeah, I, I wrote, did a high schooler write this scene? Because it felt like a high schooler was like, imagine, just imagine if, like, two people were, like, making out and then she asked him to eat her out and then he did it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. That's a very compelling storyline you wrote there yeah um and it, i and it guess wasn't I good. Just mean, it wasn't like tastefully done it just wasn't tied in it was like we could have either had like a sexual thriller or we could have had a thriller about the mexican cartel but the two things just it i understand i i feel like i understood what they were trying to do but they didn't actually get there yeah and so i wrote it's yes. almost like every good actor like turned into a bad actor in this movie yeah, like including Brad, by the way. Yeah, he didn't. Well, except for that one scene. He, I don't know. There was one scene where I was like, "Brad's doing a good job." Not when he died. Which scene? It was when he told him that he told him he needed to get in trouble, like that he was getting in trouble, like that they found out. Right. And Brad and goes, he, he needs to some leave. hemlock, you know, and he was like kind of joking. Yeah. No, I, okay. That that was a pretty good scene, but there's a lot of. I guess it's just because the scene's so dialogue heavy and like. Ugh. Brad, I mean, I don't think Brad is super good at heavy, long dialogue. He is good at acting with his face and with his body. I think you're but right. But, like, long dialogue, I feel like sometimes it's just it's hard for him to, like, really nail it. You know what I mean? But also, I think it was hard for everybody to really nail it. Like, poor Cameron Diaz. There's a moment, like, in the end when she says goodbye to Javier Bardem, where she, like, turns around... And you can, and you're like, whoa! The, it feels like the audio's off sync. Like something's weird. And then, did you read this thing? Mm, this no. fact? What? Okay, so Cameron Diaz. She was initially she played her, that character with a th- thick, like Bahan accent, um, which tested poorly for preview audiences. And so they subsequently requested that she redub the int- the majority of her lines, like most of her lines. And she was so pissed. No. Yeah, she was so pissed that she didn't do a single thing to promote this film. So you can tell. There's, like, little moments what? when you read that. You're like, whoa, like, that makes sense. Because, like, there's a lot of moments where it looks like the sink is off. And it's just because they made her speak in an English accent, an American accent. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. So wait a minute. She, I wonder, I really want to hear her Baja accent. Because yeah. I don't know what that sounds like, first of all. No, I mean... Is it like a Jamaican accent? Well, that's the interesting that thing. So they, so the character Malkina in the book is Argentinian. But they yeah. changed it to Barbados because they thought that she looked like... She, like they, fit it, they changed it to Barbados because of the way Cameron Diaz looks. She looks like a fucking white girl. She looks Let's be like honest here. a white girl. She looks like a white girl, and they, if anything, she looks like a cheetah. They started, she, she this was wearing, she had the cheetah print tattoo. They, that she was her wearing cheetahs. the eyeliner that clearly, yeah, that matched her pet, her pet cheetahs, which also, by the way, I guess it's a great character, uh, development, you know, thing for a character. Is it? Added nothing to the story. They didn't use the cheetahs at all. That's the thing. It's like trope after trope after trope. Like, there could have been that moment after Javier Bardem dies. The cheetah just goes and sniffs him. I'm like, I want to see some cheetah, like, moving some drugs around or yeah. eating Javier Bardem. How do you... Oh, my God, that would be so great. How do you think that they shot that cheetah in the rabbit scene? Well, I was wondering. It didn't look like CG, did it? No, it didn't. I guess you could have shot it separately. But, like, the way... No, I don't think you could have because, like, they were clearly chasing. I think that they had that. Um, animals. I think they sh- actually shot it practically. Yeah, but how do you, how do you get cheetahs to chase a rabbit and not kill it? 
<laughs> Who's to say they didn't kill it? And two cheetahs at that. <laughs> Who's to say they didn't kill it? Yeah, I guess that's true. But I feel like that's heavily frowned upon. You can't really do that <laughs> on in movies anymore. Like, you can't really just do that. <laughs> Maybe you could in 2013. That was the wiles of wiles. Was it? Was it that long ago? <laughs> I mean, I feel like in 2013, I mean, Mythbusters was over by 2013. Was it? I was, I was working on Mythbusters in 2013, was I not? Yeah. Wasn't that the last year that it was? That's when I moved here. Yeah, I did the last two seasons. That's when I moved to San Francisco. Huh. What a time um, it was. Um, I have a really interesting fact about this movie. Um, okay, cool. It's not that interesting, but it's pretty interesting that it's Guillermo del Toro. Well, you said it was really interesting. Well, it is interesting in a way that I think we can talk about it because it's Guillermo del Toro's, one of his favorite films. He's famously gone on to say. Yeah. Okay. That was only like like two weeks ago that he said (laughs) that this movie's underrated. But it is. Which is so funny because. I don't think it's overrated at all. I don't think this movie is underrated at all. I think this movie is a bad movie. I think it had a lot of heart and a lot of effort, but it. The thing is, for me, that I keep going back to, I was thinking about it right before, I've been thinking about it since I finished it, about what I was going to say about it, and the truth of the matter is, it's like, I still don't really understand the plot, even outside of the crazy things. I mean, I do understand the scent of the plot, but I don't understand, like, how it all went down. And that's not a good thing, too. I think, no, that's not a great sign for a movie. And here's the thing, it's like, if a casual moviegoer is bored and can't, follow the plot then the movie is I, okay so i was reading the thing with guillermo del toro and he said yes this movie didn't do very well in the box office but he thinks it just it's because it didn't find its audience and every movie does have its audience and i personally think this movie is a movie that like people who are filmmakers will like because it has the writing of cormac mccarthy mm-hmm. and so it's got some like really great writing the, the cinematography is good the style is good. Like it's like it looks nice. Everyone's dressed really well. well it looks nice. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, everyone looks. Crazy. All of the individual just... pieces are great. The writing is. I mean, the writing is great. Although it's not for me in movie making. It does look beautiful. All of the actors are great actors. The storyline's intriguing. There's like blood, and everybody loves a cartel. But that's my point. It's like all these like five great pieces that are like from different puzzles, and so they don't create a clear picture somehow don't get married together i know i i agree i agree with that totally but i see i i sometimes when i watch a movie that's like this i'm like this is a movie that i feel like film nerds would like because it has all these elements in it that don't necessarily work well together but like film nerds would see them would recognize all of the elements and how good they are on their own and be okay with them not being not having that like rhythm and rhyme and reason that like we come to expect when we watch a movie now you know what i mean yeah i get it and i i have to say like i'm glad that i watched this movie because like what a weird thing to Me have too. watched like i'm glad that i know that it exists because it is a yeah. suddenly a thing um right but it's not i had to watch it in two sittings you know which i hate often i have to do that for this pod yeah where I was just like, I can't, I, I just can't. I don't think I'm going to enjoy this right now. You know? <laughs> I'd rather watch Bob's Burgers. Yeah, I know. Well, that's the hard thing about podcasting is sometimes you don't want to do no. it. <laughs> um, and this is just a movie where you're just like, God damn. Like, Well, the other thing is, too, is that normally it really felt like a chore. Brad, doesn't, Brad didn't really say anything about this. There isn't a lot of press about the movie. I mean, there's one soundbite from Brad that I watched and read over and over again, which was that... He's read everything. The quote is, I've read everything by Cormac McCarthy, sometimes twice, and I'm a total Fassbender fanatic. So how could I not? Like, And he, and he loves and, Ridley, and Ridley launched his career, so why wouldn't he, you know? Yes, that was the other thing, is that he's like, I, I appreciate Ridley, what Ridley did for me, so of course I'm going to do, do him a solid and yeah. do it. And then there was um, this thing that I read that was kind of far-fetched, but works for the sake of the podcast, which was that ultimately... Brad Pitt's cowboy character in this movie gets his money taken by an American. So it's like a flip. It's an intentional flip of his character in Thelma and Louise who steals the money from the girls. It's like that uh, ca- yes. cowboy coming home to roost. Where I'm like, 
it needs to be mentioned, but do I agree? No. Do you do you feel like you want to go through the plot really quick and just figure out what exactly happened? Sure, let's do it. Okay, so um, it, it starts off with the counselor, who doesn't ha- really have a name. It's just him and his girlfriend. Um, and They're fucking and sucking. Basically, they're sucking and fucking in the bed, and it's really graphic and gross. But kind of hot um, for us straights. <laughs> I guess. It's steamy. It's, it's steamy. steamy. It's gratuitous um, for no reason, like everything else in this movie. Yeah. Um, and then one of the counselor's clients is Javier Bardem, who is married to the insane uh, character played by Cameron Diaz. Malkina. Um, so here's the question. And so you're telling me that, the, that Javier Bardem was a client of the counselor's. See, I never put that together. I just thought they were like knew each other. Yeah. So that the counselor was his lawyer. Right. Well, yes, vaguely. They know each other. Yeah. The counselor is just like a dirty lawyer. He's like a cartel lawyer who's like dirty. And then the there's a uh, they talk about opening a nightclub together. Yeah. Um and they're going so they're going to do the nightclub. And then uh also uh the uh, what's his name? Reiner is the character's name. Um Javier Bardem's character's God damn, sorry. Javier Bardem and Brad Pitt also talk about uh, a drug deal, in, like along with the nightclub. And since they both work with the cartel vaguely, you know, he the the, the counselor is like, oh, I want to like get in on this. There's a drug deal. It's going to be an easy one. I got this. You know, I'm around this shit all the time. No problem. So he's going to do it. So he brings in Brad Pitt, a business associate, um, who is going to help them do it and Brad Pitt warns him right he says like don't do it and he says don't do it but we're gonna do it anyway he's like you gotta know if you're dealing with the cartel you're gonna die and it's like you know that it's all gonna go sour from the minute it starts because you're dealing with the cartel of course it's like always like always always just don't deal with the cartel (laughs) like it's it's truly (laughs) just don't deal with the cartel a cartel uh, there's like, oh, a drug deal with the cartel where I'm gonna like, I'm gonna score, like I'm gonna do, so, I'm gonna make so much money and then just walk away from it forever. It'd be completely fine. <laughs> Never once in the history of no. all time has anyone no, done that with the cartel. No, they get their just heads don't. chopped like, off. It's everybody's head is constantly being yeah. chopped off in the when the cartel's involved, including in this movie. I know two heads got chopped yeah. off in this movie. That's true. Um, so then, uh. Uh, one little note is that Cameron Diaz overhears some stuff about this drug deal, and she wants to get involved. See, that's another question that but I had. So she, I thought that she sort of was orchestrating the whole thing from the beginning. No, she's <clears throat> she's orchestrating her side of the whole thing. She wants to be... She wants to get this money because she knows of how good of a drug deal it is. So she wants to get it. Um, Can I... And so she's going to orchestrate her shit. Fun fact about that is that Angelina Jolie was originally cast. She was actually cast as Malkina but dropped out, who was replaced by Cameron Diaz. Okay, so if Angelina Jolie was playing Malkina and you wanted to do a Baja accent, I would understand a little bit better. I would, like, get that. You also, know? if Angelina Jolie... Because at least she's not full white. But also, Angela, Angelina Jolie is a true femme fatale. Cameron Diaz is not a femme fatale. Oh, she yeah. Just, if, I, if Angelina Cameron Jolie Diaz had been cast... wants to be a femme yeah, fatale. Yeah, especially in this movie. But if Angelina Jolie had played this role, I think it would have made the entire thing a million times better. Because she brings this, like, dark and twisty to her that Cameron Diaz just, like, doesn't. You know? She does, Cameron Diaz doesn't have that depth no. to her. And I love Cameron Diaz. I just don't think, I think it's you're right. Different, like, I think she's not a femme fatale. This wasn't the right role for she's her. She's like, and she's not even a girl next door, she, but she's a romantic. I just didn't believe her at all. Like I was supposed to. Yeah. Totally. Um, <clears throat> so then the counselor needs to, you know, put together this drug deal. So he meets some lady in prison whose son, like, rides motorcycles very fast, I guess. Um, 
And so the counselor is like, all right, we'll get him out of jail. And I'm not really sure. If it was a setup. How the. Well, I don't really know how this guy who drives fast on a motorcycle was going to be combined with the drugs because the drugs are being transported in a sewer. Yeah, but so I had to look this up. You know, that little like beepy thing that they found. Yeah, he was carrying that. And that is the thing that turns on the sewer truck inside the engine. So he, oh. it doesn't make any sense, but basically the, the truck had been stalled. That's why he was going so fast because he had that little thing that is like the key to turn the truck on. Oh, okay. So he had to go turn the truck on. Okay, well, so then Cameron Diaz knows kind of what's going on. And so she decides this is her chance to get involved and to start stealing the drugs. So she hires this guy known as the Wire Man, which is such an uncreative name for what he does. <laughs> he sets up wires in the road to decapitate people. <laughs> and what makes me mad about that is that you can just set up a wire in the middle of a highway. He It had to take him, what, half an hour to set that thing up at least? Like, he wasn't quick about yeah. it. It's just a wire in the middle of a highway. No cars. The only vehicle that comes through there is just this one motorcycle. Bitch, please. I don't buy that for one well, second. Well, he knew what he was doing. You see, everything's been expertly thought out. And it's all being thought out without our knowledge behind the camera. You know what I mean? Okay, fine. All right. He can have it. So anyway, the wire man sets up his, <laughs> his signature move, the wire, and he puts it out on the freeway. And then when this motorcyclist rides through the wire, his head gets chopped off. And then I guess the guy is able to take the, um, the thing, the little device, which then allows him to go steal the, the whole truck. And then the police, um, who are not really the police, who are the cartel, come. It's like, what the fuck, man? We don't need all this story. Remember? No, that didn't happen. Oh, okay, you tell me what happened. That didn't happen okay. yet. That was he just stole the truck that time, and then he like drives away in the truck. Remember, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Or were there people behind him? I don't. I remember. don't know, but I can't imagine this is very I interesting the, for a I listener. The... <laughs> oh, that's true. That's totally true. All right, let me speed this up. Well, it's so confusing. It's hard to speed it up because it's such a confusing storyline. Um, I'm literally looking at the Wikipedia page to give me notes about it because it's like hard to follow chronologically. Yeah. It doesn't, that's what I'm um, saying. Even when you read the notes, it still doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so this this guy, the wireman, steals the truck for, for Cameron Diaz, and then um, uh, and then what happens? Westray, and then they're like, okay, this, this deal is fucked up. And so that's when Brad Pitt's like, I'm out. And he's like, hey, counselor, you also should be out. Like, let's be out. Um, and then the counselor starts freaking and, out. And he, the whole thing, too, is yes. that the whole time we need to know that the counselor truly, genuinely loves his wife or his fiance Penelope Cruz, more than any other thing on the entire planet. And he would give his life for yes. her. So, like, Which is nice. It's nice, but it also wasn't driven to entirely home. Like, didn't, those dots didn't entirely connect. But point is, he's freaking out because now she is in danger. And lo and behold, she gets kidnapped. Yep. Because the cartel knows if they, they knew the cartel knows from the beginning, like if shit's going to go down, you just kidnap the kidnap the wife, fiance, uh, whatever the fuck. And then that's the your leverage, knows everything. obviously. Yeah. And um, the cartel is pissed at him in general. So now that like later in, it's later in the movie when this wire man fellow is driving the truck and then the cartel members pull him over pretending to be police and then they get in a shootout. Everybody fucking dies. Um, except for the policeman. And who's actually a cartel member. Except for the who? policeman who's actually a cartel member. Right. Right. And then there's that scene where they kill Javier Bardem, who's in bi- who's been involved this whole time off and on, just like kind of being the middleman, the cartel representative, basically, right? Yeah, I'm not. It's, it's very unclear. He gets killed because he's involved. Basically, we know that Brad Pitt, Javier Bardem, Michael Fassbender are involved in the same deal, and they're on one team. And then we know that Cameron Diaz is like, she could either be. She's the one trying to steal from them. But also, I. F- but she's using her position. Yeah, I think I feel like it's unclear as to whether or not she has just overheard it and she's this badass bitch, or if she's actually the puppeteer in this whole thing. 
I think she also could potentially be working with Javier Bardem. And they are, like, he is dropping her big hints on purpose, and then they go off together. Yeah. They, their plan was to leave together. But um, Javier Bardem gets killed um, when the cartel was trying to kidnap him. He accidentally gets killed. It and seems then, to me, I actually, mean, I because kinda... she was able to get her cheetahs back, we find out in the end. So I think, actually, she did a, she duped him. And she planned that whole thing. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, you could be that's right. That's what I'm saying. It's unclear. Anyway. There's no, like, whoa, reveal moment that you want from a movie like this, where it's like she's been working on the sidelines the whole time. It never comes. Yeah. Um, anyway, so then the counselor's wife is killed and raped and murdered and hor- horrifically on a DVD. Um, but we don't know that for sure. That he receives. We just... We, it's an We're allusion sure. to a snuff she, film of her being killed with a disc that says, Ola. And then she gets killed. And then we see her dead we see body. see her d- dead um, body get dumped into a dump, into the, what is that called? When, it's when there's all the trash. <laughs> uh, a trash Land hole. mine. Landfill. You think of a trash hole? Landfill. It's a landfill. Um, yeah, and then it's basically over. Brad Pitt also gets killed. They, um... Uh, that was a fun death. We can talk about Brad's London. death, huh? Brad did have a fun yeah. death. He was decapitated with that weird thing. What was it called again? I don't remember what it was called, but they set it the up. Bolito. They set it up really early in the in the movie. Yeah, it's called the Bolito, and it's a a necklace that gets tighter and tighter and tighter, and it just chops but your head off. But first, it slashes your aorta, so you don't die from suffocation. You die from extreme bloodletting, and he dies from extreme bloodletting on the streets of London and all the onlookers are like, Ooh, what's going on? There's like blood spurting everywhere. I know. <laughs> they don't even react at all. It's crazy. And Brad is so Brad is acting so hard in that scene. He is just acting up oh a storm. God, dying he's just dying left and right. I mean it was truly one for the books. Ridley um, Scott said I that mean, what are... he just had to let Brad go. He's like, I barely direct him because it would be a mistake. He's like, I just let my actors act their little hearts out. And I'm like, Ridley, I think you may have lost your touch. Yeah, because guess what, Ridley? Brad needs direction. He'll work with you, but he needs a strong director. Brad, Brad is a good yeah. actor, but he needs to know what you are envisioning this movie to be so that he can he's bring what he does to the scene. Exactly. He's collaborative. Yeah. He, he's you can't just, let him run free. He's just a guy. You can't let him run free. Not because he, it's just because he, he just needs that direction. I mean, he loves structure. He's great with it. He works really well with that's that kind true. of shit. Um, so that's basically it. And honestly, I couldn't really find much about the production. It's all the production stuff about it is talking about how like where they film it which was all in europe um, right most of it in london and a little bit the u.s um there was like they had to take some downtime while they were shooting because tony scott killed himself during the yeah and then he went back to work a week after that that's fucking how our job is i (laughs) that's what it's like working in production everybody yeah someone died on my set i came back the next day not two weeks oh, ago. Oh, my. Can you tell that story? No. Can you tell that story really quick? It's not a great story. No, it's a fascinating story. Yeah. You, don't have to, you don't have to get into too, too many details, but just like what exactly happened again? We were on set, and my caterer came for second meal. We don't normally get second meal, but the client had changed their, their mind, signed an over $20,000 okay. overage. Um, okay, America, just so you know, in film, if you work... You have to take break for a meal every six hours, and typically we work twelve-hour days. So if you're going to do any overtime after six after lunch, then you have to get a second meal for everybody delivered. So we and had decided we were going to get a second, second meal. meal. Like there was no reason. I only bring that up because it's like the caterer wouldn't have been there if we didn't need second meal. If we hadn't made that random decision to like extend the day. Anyway, he came and he fell over and he died of a heart attack on our set. And we came back the next day, 7 a.m. call. Jesus. And we had to, like, do a How was, thing. what did everyone do? It was, like, real dark. 
I can't talk about did, what we were filming, but it was real. Not it wasn't like something that you want to like give your. It's not something that you're like at least. At least I can like say I was doing it for a good cause, <laughs> you know. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. So it was like some bullshit thing. Um, My point is this: that's, it's just so crazy to me. It was crazy. Why did it's I bring so that up? Do you think that that person would have died? Oh yeah, that? because Tony. Yeah, he probably would have. Tony Scott committed suicide. <laughs> they were in England. Ridley flew back on August twentieth and was back to work September thirtieth. So he's gone for ten days after his brother committed suicide. It's like nothing. Jesus. Anyway, this is a very cheery episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. You know. Yeah. Anyway, life is too short. No, you got to make good shit, not bad shit. You do. At least you um, gave it your all, you know. There's a I have one interesting fact about this, and then I'd love to know how much it costs oh, okay. to make. Um so the costume designer collaborated with Giorgio Armani on the film as a part of a new partnership between Armani and Fox. Um Armani was enlisted to create the wardrobes for the characters for Michael Fassbender, Penelope Cruz, and the designer created 15 different outfits for Cameron Diaz, all in Armani. Same thing with Javier Bardem. That's why it was all very Armani-looking. Oh, it did, because they did. They were dressed oh, they to were the dressed. nines. Like it, everyone was dressed really well. Yeah. That's it, really. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, what, do you, what do you say we jump right into these ratings? Well, I want to know how much it cost. Oh, yeah, duh. Okay, so the budget was $25 million, um, which is, I would say, just like average. It's not crazy, crazy high, but it's certainly not low. Actually, it's a little low. $25 million is kind of lower, right? Are you sure it was 25 and not 250 Yes. Huh. That is low, considering all the did, A-listers. Did you, see 20, did you see 250 somewhere? No, I didn't see it. I didn't. My luck. No, no, the budget... It's 25 everywhere I'm looking. Okay, 25 um, it is. That's really low considering that everybody is an A-lister. Yeah, I, I bet you, I mean, I bet you Brad Pitt took a little discount. And when I say discount, I mean he's not earning his, his well, because he considered this a bit dollar. part. I think he only acted in it for like a few days. I think his actual total work time wasn't very much. Right, and he was doing Ridley Scott a favor, so he probably did it for, like, a couple million. Hmm. I mean, pittance. Um, and he had done three other movies that year, so he probably was like, look, I got this bit part for you. Um, two other movies that year. So he's probably, you know, he probably just did it for cheap. Um, anyway, so it made 25, it, it cost $25 million to make. It's opening weekend. It made $7.8 million. <laughs> oh my God, that makes sense. I know. And it opened at number four um, behind Gravity, Bad Grandpa, and Captain Phillips. Okay, what the fuck is... Ca- oh, Captain so, Phillips, right. With the Tom Hanks mm-hmm, movie, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was that. It's total domestic gross. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. $16.9 million. Oh, no. Total oh, no, no, gross. no, yes. no. Oh, boy. It's... it's Total lifetime worldwide gross uh, was seventy-one million. So it made its money back and then some, but it was not quick. And it, like I think, here's the thing: I think when you put Brad Pitt in your movie, if the movie is not good, America doesn't give a shit that Brad Pitt is in it. It'll it won't do that well. Mm-hmm. But It'll give the it a rest boost of the world, yes, for sure. But the rest of the world will watch Brad Pitt and Cameron Diaz in anything it's interesting they will pay i was looking um i was like did he just like stop making good movies after this like did ridley scott just stop making good movies but then he did the martian that was good and he did alien covenant and then he hasn't made a movie since 2017 he can retire if he wants to he should probably retire honestly I hope he knows that it's okay for him to retire. Like we're, we can. It's okay. He'll never re- Ridley. You can huh. let it. <coughs> or let just it like go. produce things. Produce executive produce consulting produce. Yeah. 
He should be in control. He should do a TV series. So I'm looking still at his – he's doing a TV series this um, – called The Passage. Have you ever read The What's Passage? That? There's so much TV right now. But did you ever read The Passage by Justin Cronin? It's about um, zombies. It is the best trilogy of books. I'm so thrilled to know that it's out in, as a show now. Interesting. Okay. Well, I love books. You should read. Those I books. love. I love talking about books that I haven't read. <laughs> you should read the passage. They are. There's three of them. Page turners. You won't sleep at night. It's so good. All right. So. Oh, cool. Ratings. Um. Okay. So tell me about like the public reception. So IMDb gives it a five point three out of ten. Thirty four on Rotten Tomatoes. Forty eight on Metacritic. Sixty one on Google. EW gives it a D plus and generally bad reviews, generally bad reviews. And actually I fully agree with the EW's review, which I said, which I started this podcast with. And then I'll, this is exactly what I feel about it. So the EW says the counselor is a draw dropping. The counselor is a jaw-dropping misfire. The dialogue is laughably pretentious, the plotting is virtually non-existent, and the performances are so broad and cartoony that you keep wondering if it's all the same if if this is all some sort of prank. And I genuinely felt that way this whole time. Like it was like such a movie tropes movie that like I didn't know if I was being punked by having all these famous people in a movie. I You know? Yes. Okay, see, that's a good way to put it because I did sort of feel like all those elements were there, but like we had said, they weren't really marrying, and I just felt like it was too smart for me to get it. You know, like, I'm like, am I just not, is there something I'm not getting about this movie? Because no. it seems like I should like this movie. No, I think we've watched, enough, we've watched enough movies, and I think also the public's reception of it. Because there's movies like The Tree of Life that a lot of the public didn't like, but that's because it's not a movie that, like, it's not going to be like uh, the Avengers. You know what I mean? Whereas this one, it's like everybody yes. didn't like it except for Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> yeah. I didn't read a single positive Even review. The actors in it didn't really like it. No, there was no press, zero press. Like this movie, I go to Brad, I, I go to simplybrad.com. No Every week I go to simplybrad.com and there's at least one article about a movie he's in. Mhm. Yes. If, if if it's even if it's like even going back to the late 80s. There is nothing, literally nothing. There's that one sentence on this. Cameron Diaz didn't do any press. Javier Bardem didn't do any press. There was one interview with Ridley Scott where he's like tattering on about it. So I think it's just not a good movie. I think I think maybe they there was like spare money at the end of the year and they just like needed to like, Fox like needed to put a movie out. So they just got all the big guns and just made something. And you know what? They made fifty million dollars on this movie, so yeah, I mean, keeps the lights on. You know what I mean? Um, I don't want to make. I don't want to make anything anymore. I'm tired and, and stressed out. You know what I was thinking? Yeah, I'm gonna let's open quit. up a petting zoo, and I'm gonna start a GoFundMe. Oh my god! I want to open up a um, uh, shelter for kittens. Okay. Because I love kittens. Well, who doesn't? I love kittens. I know, but nobody understands how much I love kittens. I sent you a kitten video yesterday. Do you remember? It was really funny. I did. I was in the middle of moving. I'm moving this weekend. It's been a hell nightmare. What? You're moving this weekend? Well, because I'm in L.A. next weekend. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay, great. Um, so, anyway, that's the public reviews. What is your opinion okay. on Brad's fuckability? We could do a Mary oh, Fuck Kill. Start. We never start with looks. We could do a Mary Fuck Kill. Oh, should That'd we do be Mary, a fun Mary Fuck Let's do Mary Fuck Kill. Kill. Let's do... Yeah, this is going to be a good one because we can just do Fastbender, Javier Bardem, and Brad Pitt. You kill Javier Bardem. You fuck Pitt and you marry Fastbender. Yeah, that's the right answer. You know, that is the correct answer because, first of all, Fastbender... Very attractive mm. and would be a is a very caring and thoughtful man. And rich, driving and around in that Bentley. Wow. So rich. He's so hot. So rich. I mean, he makes bad decisions and it well actually, hold on. If you marry Fastbender, you may get kidnapped by the cartel. You may find yourself 
<laughs> getting frantic phone calls in the middle of the night telling you that you need to move states right but now. But what's my other option? Marrying um, Javier? I mean, no one's marrying Brad Pitt. He's a lone ranger. I would marry He's Brad Pitt. He's a lone Pitt. wolf. Well, look, we're playing marry, fuck, kill. Whoever I pick to marry is getting married to me. So maybe Brad Pitt. It uh, seems like he is... I mean, I know he gets killed, but he does seem like he knows his boundaries. He knows his limits. He knows when to walk away. Um, yeah, but he's an idiot because he just picks up the first American girl he sees. That's another problem that I had. True. It's like Don't like that about there, him. A girl comes up and walks next to the fucking... A girl comes up to reception at the hotel. She happens to be American and beautiful. And all of a sudden, cut to, she has his like social security number and password to his computer. It's like, how in the fuck yeah. am I supposed to believe that? That is so lazy. That is the laziest storytelling I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. That's pretty, pretty lame. <laughs> on their so end. Okay, lame. so yeah, Brad Pitt's stupid. Fuck Brad. Fuck, fuck Brad. Brad Mary Fassbender, kill Bardem. Do we ever just kill Brad? No, we always either fuck him or marry him. Wouldn't you say? I feel like I've killed him before. I mean, I feel like you have too, but I cannot remember when it was that you killed him. I know I would kill him in 12 Monkeys twice if I could. Yeah. Um, that's probably my least favorite role of his, I think. 12 Monkeys? Um, 12 Monkeys. It's just so, he was just so hard to watch in yeah. that. Uh, okay. So, anyway, let's do, Mary, let's do uh, ratings now. I would rate his looks in this. Oh, here's the other reason that it would be hard to fuck him is because he's ugly as hell. <laughs> That's true. I hate, <laughs> I hate the straight long hair. So it's it. He looks like a stupid like he looks like Brett Michaels. His hair is long and stringy, like they oiled it. Like it's not robust and beautiful. It's like fucking Rock of Love. Yeah, it's not like it's not like Legends of the Fall long. It's like gross long. And also, this is 2013 still. This yeah. is our third movie in 2013. His hair is like this in the world of 2013 in every interview. I'm so excited. And in World War Z. You know what's funny? He has long hair in World War Z, but I'm not mad no, at it in World War Z. I just don't like it. Oh my god, he has it in... I guess that's just his hair. He has the same hair in... in um, that's what I'm telling you. He looked better with the chin strap hair, with the chin strap beard and this long hair in 12 Years a Slave than he does without the chin strap and the stupid long well, hair because in, in this, this he has sideburns and he has like those horrendous glasses and they oil it up so it looks thin. I mean, we all know Brad Pitt has beautiful hair. Let's be honest. He does have beautiful hair. It's undeniable. But you don't see it. He has beautiful everything. You do not see it in this movie. You remember how beautiful he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Oh I think this is... I have, I think about it every single day. This is the least attractive Brad Pitt's ever been to me, I think. I wouldn't say that because his suits... I mean, look amazing. Like, when he's in the cowboy hat, I don't notice... It's just when he has it off that he looks like such a fuck boy. I don't love so it. So what's the number? Anyway, so my rating my rating is going to be uh, five. Because his suits look nice, but it's not high. I like him. He's wearing those big chunky rings. It's like kind of sexy. Yep. I'll give him a five too. 4.8. Four, 4.8. Four okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I want him less than 50% because he can do way yeah, better. Okay, fair enough. He can do so yeah. much better. Um, and then what do you rate uh, the movie overall? Um, a three, a four. Oh, I'll okay. give it a four because three? there's some great aspects of it. Again, I'm going to go back to my puzzle, my puzzle metaphor. It's as if there's like six different great puzzles and they're all missing one piece and all of those missing pieces are in a box and that boxes this movie <laughs> does that make sense okay yeah i think i'm i think i'm gonna give it a five because i didn't i thought there was a lot of cool things about the movie um like basically what you said there's a, a box and the puzzle it doesn't all fit together but i really the things that are good about this movie i really do like so i'm gonna give it a five but it's also hard to watch, so it loses a lot of points for it's that. It's hard to watch. You know and what I mean? It's lazy and it banks a lot. It banks a lot of its success on, or at least I feel like I've been taken a little bit advantage of. Like it's like it was lazy filmmaking. They didn't develop the plot very well because they didn't need to, because they had all of the makings. You know? 
Right. Yeah. Like if the same and movie just, was made by someone other than Ridley Scott, I think it would have been a million times better. I think I think it was lazy. I agree. I and you know what? Like I love talking about movies. Obviously, we have a movie podcast. Yeah. And if a, if I watch this movie and I don't get excited about talking about this movie, it it's not a good well, movie. Well, and that's the other you know thing. I mean? like, so some most of the time when we watch a bad movie, I'm really excited to talk about it. But this one I was like This movie made me feel apathetic and lazy. Exactly. Made me apathetic and lazy because I was like what in the hell? So, exactly. And that's tragic. Well, um Brad's performance, I will give him a six because I don't think he did a terrible job, um, but it wasn't really that. Or maybe I'll give him a seven because it wasn't a terrible job. It just wasn't that great. I liked the moment. It, when I wasn't was excited by it. Hemlock. I liked that like reveal moment. So I'm I'm aligned with you. I'm gonna give him a seven. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, I guess that's it then, this huh? This concludes the counselor. We made it to fifty-one minutes. The counselor with two L's, by the way. I know. I had to look that up. That's so funny. I was like, am I spelling this wrong? I thought I spelt it wrong, apparently. Um, <coughs> next week, we are going to be talking about Fury. Yay. We a will good have... movie, I think. I've never seen it. Have you? No, but Shia LaBeouf's in it, too, which I love. Well, I made out with him um, time. And you made out with Shia LaBeouf? We've talked about this like a few times on the podcast. And we'll, we'll talk I, about it again next week. Every time you say it, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, but I need you to tell me it again. Anyway, you'll you'll have to tell that story again because we're gonna have a guest with us. His name's Colin Burris, and he is just lovely. Um, and when we were talking about him coming on, he was like, "I will come talk about Fury, but just so you know, I'm gonna only want to talk about Shia LaBeouf." <laughs> is he a, a homosexual? Um, no. Great. No. Well, no. <laughs> I mean, he might be. He might be. I know, know. I only he's asked, like a three I on only the Kinsey asked scale because I know I have. I happen to have a lot of homosexual friends who are wildly and passionately obsessed with Shia LaBeouf. Well, I think his obsession with Shia LaBeouf is the gayest thing about him. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking to him about Shia. Uh, I, yeah, let's not it'll be, be fun. I, I hope I'm not too Shia. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Um, I can uh, LaBuff up my personality nice, a little bit, you know? Bitch. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you made it through uh, this episode. I, hate I don't myself. know if you probably made it this far, but we'll talk to you next week. Nobody, I won't make it this far editing. No. It. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I love you.